Welcome back to the And She Did podcast. Today, we are honored to be hosting Gunhilder Halgrim's daughter. Gunhilder is a freshman attending Harvard University. As the youngest person to ever serve on the Icelandic parliament, Gunhilder's major passions include the intersection of climate action and politics, as well as inspiring younger generations to make a change. Gunhilder wanted to bring youth voices into parliament and advocate for climate action, and she did. Hi, Gunhilder. Welcome to And She Did. We are so honored and excited to have you on our podcast today. How are you doing? Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. It's such an inspirational podcast. Uh, I'm very glad to be doing this because I've been in COVID isolation for the past seven days, so literally nothing. So this is just such a refresher to talk to someone. It's lovely. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, we're so, so excited to talk to you as well. I think that everybody is kind of um, dealing with COVID right now. So maybe while people are quarantining or isolating, they can listen to this podcast episode. That's super exciting. Yes. <laughs> so to start off, do you think that you could tell us a little bit about yourself um, just by introducing yourself to our listeners? Sure. Um, so my name is Gunhildur Hallgrimsdóttir. I am born and raised in Iceland from a little town there. I attended uh, secondary school there and then um, I decided to apply to Harvard University because um, I wanted to expand my horizons and study somewhere international. Um, I decided to go there not before taking a gap year where I um, expanded a lot on my climate activism. Um, I studied to become a mountain and glacier guide, um, fell in love with the outdoors, and um, now recently have become a parliamentarian. Uh, so I'm a huge advocate for gap years. It did a lot for me. Um, and yeah, I'm passionate about climate activism and the environment ever since first taking part in school strikes that were started by Greta Thunberg, uh, the Fridays for Future movement, which then led on to more activism and eventually parliament. Um, I hope to study environmental science and public policy at Harvard, um, which I'm glad will give me a broad focus in economics and all things sustainability, because it's such an, um, it's such an interdisciplinary problem. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Thank you so much, Gunhilder, for that fantastic introduction. To start off with our first question, it seems that climate action and activism are causes that you are very passionate about. And how did this passion for climate action first begin? I know you mentioned that you are a mountain guide. How has this love of the outdoors influenced your initial interest in climate action? Um, I think it's just like ever since I was growing up, I've always been fascinated with nature. And I think nature is kind of the closest thing that we have to this like magical fairy taleism that we all grow up with and want to believe in and that I still believe in and allow myself to believe in. Um, I think nature is so, so magical. I was lucky to grow up in a place which has truly incredible nature. Um, and when I was in high school, um, I was taking a part in a lot of uh, student activism and then the climate um, action movement started and it hadn't really been like taught about much in schools before that. So I, was, I always credit that movement for kind of starting my climate as activism as well, because it was just so rarely talked about before. Um, so when I heard about the strikes, um, it was like daunting to learn about and I... Um, I think I just slowly, slowly started to realize also through participating in strikes, hearing speeches from kids, from adults, from like anyone who wanted to share their passions, their rage, their feelings about this like 
completely terrible thing that's like really hard to wrap your mind around um just kind of like the totalness of it um so you know like it's not like i was educated about this at five years old and have been doing it ever since no it was it was um it started to become something our generation was talking about more and more um and i thought this is um something i should do something about like the heroes and everyone in, in the books that you read about, they always do something about the problem. So I thought, you know, this, this, um, this is something I can have an effect on and, and um, I'm in a position to speak and I should do something. So yeah, I, I started um, taking part in and organizing school strikes, which led on to us uh, meeting with many athletic politicians. We met the, the prime minister and we tried our very best to just implement um, changes and call for radical action now. Um, but that didn't really deliver as, you know, we have been seeing with the failed actions of governments today. So I thought, you know, I wanted to take it a step further. And that ended up with um, me deciding to go into politics because, um, you know, as a climate activist, you can either burn out because you're seeing so much failure or you can decide to just start doing something and get your hands dirty. And so even though like not everything, not every policy I write is perfect, it's still just like making me feel like I'm doing something at least, I'm doing my best. So yeah, climate action has always been my focus and me ending up in parliament is kind of always like a secondary, um, like a, a product of that. And whenever people like, talk about like oh it's so great that you're in parliament I'd say no it's not it, it actually isn't great that that there is a, a teenager I'm still a teenager who just kind of like is is um, prompted to do this because the adults are failing to tackle the problem so uh, this is also something that Greta Thunberg is stressing that when they try to like congratulate her achievements like none of us actually want to be doing this it's very sad um, and even though I'm passionate about it, it's not, you know, my hobby to be talking about the death of the earth. It's not at all pleasant, but you can find happiness in action and happiness in the, in the life that you're saving. So, yeah, I, I think and, and happiness in action and, and, and all the compassion you get to know and the people you get to know around you. But um, when one climate action is the focus, I think... Um, like personal achievements are always kind of like secondary and just the means of getting getting um, po climate policy through, if that makes sense. That's such an amazing answer. I think sometimes that when you advocate for something, it can be hard to sometimes hold on to the goal that the ultimate goal is to fix that problem instead of receiving recognition for the accomplishments that you make while you're trying to solve it. And so I think that's just really amazing advice and something that so many of us should keep in mind, um, especially on things like this podcast. So that's a really great message to share. On the topic of climate activism, Zoe and I know that you were involved in advocating for a new constitution in Iceland, which is first of all, so, so cool. And we know that it in part advocates for the protection of environmental resources. Some of our listeners yes. are not entirely familiar with this new constitution. So can you give us a little bit of background and tell us what the issues are that you're fighting for? Of course, I'd be surprised if anyone was familiar with it. Um, so I think a lot of things are connected to the climate movement and democracy is and uh, just kind of changing the values of society from purely 
monetary values um, into something that values nature and human rights and human life and health and happiness is a big part of creating the future that we want instead of um, climate destruction. So the moment for a new constitution is, I believe, something that can achieve that. Um, so like many former colony countries, we were, uh, Iceland was originally colonized by Denmark. Uh, we were given a constitution that just kind of fit, uh, that was like very inspired by the Danish constitution, same as many Latin American countries uh, got a copy paste of the US constitution, which ended up not working out for them. Um, we got a constitution from Denmark, which um, has kind of not been changed since that. It was supposed to be an emergency document, but we haven't changed it since then. It's very weird. It's not at all something created for such a resource-rich country. Um, so that has been one of the reasons why we've been having a lot of corruption problems. Um, the, the All of the vast resources which we have access to are currently just in private ownership and have led to um, a lot of corruption scandals and um, a kind of a, a broken system which refuses to update its playbooks. So um, after the financial crash, there was a movement that uh, decided to democratically write a new constitution. So they um, created a lot of meetings with people, um, got a lot of democratic output, and this was kind of like a trailblazer in just modern direct democracy. Um, so they, yeah, through, through a a democratic process. They elected a council that then wrote the constitution. After their work, they put it in a referendum and two thirds of the country voted, yes, we want this new constitution. Um, but then suddenly when, when the uh, document was revealed, a lot of parliament turned against it because this constitution had better checks on power. It had better rules on anti-corruption. It had um, the rule that all natural resources should be in the ownership of the public and the people. And that's not good if you are um, a politician that has a lot of friends that have uh, fishing companies. And um, it, it says things like journalists should be protected. Um, it says things like we have a right to health and we have a right to mental health. Um, and just uh, so parliament turned against this constitution and made up a lot of legal reasons as to why it can't be implemented. So uh, many years passed and we still haven't implemented this new constitution, which um, is horrible. And it's the only referendum in the Nordic countries which has been ignored. It's very weird to think of a modern democracy which ignores its um, elections. So um, that's something I learned about only recently and I'm a part of the only generation that doesn't remember the, the events that happened in 2012. I was, uh, I was 10 years old when this was happening. So, so my generation has had to learn about this new constitution movement um, just recently. So me and my friend, um, the summer of 2020, which we produced a lot of educational content, we involved influencers, we involved um, everyone. And just suddenly everyone was saying, where's the new constitution? We were graffitiing on the streets of Reykjavik in pure daylight, inviting anyone to go with us. We're graffitiing outside the Ministry of Resources because it was fun. And we're lucky to live in a country with little to none police brutality. Um, it was a fun movement. It embraced the arts, it embraced feminine values, it embraced um, just a new future. And it was fun. Um, anyone could have a say in it because the constitution is uh, 
is a contract of society. Anyone should be able to understand it. It's not just a legal document. Um, so arts were a huge part of our movement. We had uh, a choir that sung the entire context of the con new constitution. Um, we had uh, shirts and, and banners and graffiti artwork. It was great. Um, we are hoping that the parliament uh, will accept the new constitution and uh, 25th of September, there were parliamentary elections in Iceland, which unfortunately did not end up in a governmental majority that wants a new constitution, but I hope that will happen soon. Wow, thank you so much for giving us some historical context. It's honestly so impressive and courageous to hear that you and so many others stood up for the values of this new constitution. And more recently, you became the youngest member ever of Icelandic parliament, which is incredible. And I was wondering if you could tell us a bit more about how this came to be, as well as your experience as a member of the parliament. Yes, I love parliament. I am a complete nerd when it comes to parliament. Um, it's so fun. So I decided this in February, March of 2021. And then um, since Iceland is a multi-party system, it has many parties. It has social Democrats, left greens, pirate party, which I ended up wanting to join. Um, there were primaries within the party, so everyone elects like 10 people from each district to be representatives from, from that district. Um, I um, appealed to the members of the Pirate Party, uh, citing my knowledge in environmental activism and the new constitution movement, and so they elected me. But it was not like a huge campaign that I had to have, because it's only within the Pirate Party. Um, so... That meant that over the summer and in the spring, I was uh, helping them a lot with uh, climate policy, um, constitutional policy. And what I really like about the Pirate Party is how open to youth they were. They were giving me leading policy roles and they weren't really treating me like, you know, a teenager. They just treated me like an adult. Of course, explaining something when it needed to be explained, but um, still... I didn't feel tokenized like other parties tend to treat you. Um, so I think that was super cool. And I, I totally believe that if you treat a young person just like a normal person, just like an equal, they will show so much uh, value and so much creativity and ideas that I think other political parties are missing out on. So um, over the summer, yeah, we're doing some campaigning work. I'm producing educational content on TikTok and Instagram. And uh, then I uh, sadly have to leave for college before the elections, but I, I tried to do my best over um, the internet. I had a calling software, so I was doing calls um, in the evenings in the States because then it was prime time in Iceland, which was just lovely. So that was lovely. And, and uh, I ended up getting elected as a substitute member of parliament. So that means that from my district, uh, there are two parliamentarians but then there are two substitute parliamentarians if those two ever need to go on break or they need to um, um, travel for work or something. So that's more common in Europe uh, to have those kinds of systems. I know they're not in America. Uh, but yeah, so over this winter, uh, winter break, one of them ended up getting sick and they called me, said, hello, can you jump in while I'm sick? I said, of course. Um, after I ended a call, of course, I screamed. But um, I was like, okay, sure, if you want me to, I'll do it. And we also talked about it would be a good idea for me to come in now because then I could break the record of being the youngest person because 
the person who used to have the record was like a conservative. And we're like, why would the conservative party have the title of youngest parliamentarian? That doesn't make sense. We have to have the title, <laughs> you know? So we're like, okay, let's do it. So yeah, I ended up get being in parliament for two days, 27th and 28th of December. Um, at the same time as another girl who was also um, a young parliamentarian, she's 21 or no, 22 years old, uh, recently graduated law student, really cool what she's doing with immigration policy and just uh, she's half Kurdish, half Icelandic. It's the first, first Kurdish woman to sit in parliament in the Nordic countries, super amazing. We decided to match white uh, suits and it was so fun, all the internet was like, was crazy they were like yeah this is a new times you know and we had such a fun time because um the entire pirate party was now almost a female party and i love it so much because like none of us were diminishing our feminine values we were we were just being women like sometimes women who go into male dominated fields success succeed by imitating um masculinity you know by being harsh by being cold by being um like trying to appear strong but i think our strength within the pirate party is that none of us really care about those things and we just are completely ourselves um and we succeed by embracing femininity and it was so fun uh, there was one guy who was in the pirate in the pirate party um it's like an old man uh but he has five daughters so he like completely knew his place he was just showing us around helping us with our speeches he was just like he, he's willingly sat in the corner he was like you sit at the table you know such wholesome uncle energy it was amazing we stepped into parliament he showed us around we got our um ids and everything and then we signed the oath to the constitution um, that was super fun. And then um, we start talking. I have my speech. I talk about the climate. We're discussing the budget. It's super fun to see everyone. Um, it's surprisingly a lot like school because, you know, you have your cafeteria, you have your party, which is like your class or whatever. You have your elitism, you have your like cliques, you know, <laughs> that sit together in lunch. <laughs> And you have your policies, papers, you know, it's like, it's like school. <laughs> um, so it was super fun. Um, in the second day, I proposed an amendment that would raise the carbon tax. That's something I wanted to do. Something I had freshly learned in economics lecture. Um, what a great way to revise, <laughs> am I right? <laughs> so I proposed the carbon tax. And um, I, I did that because... Uh, yeah, like carbon tax is a very effective way to tackle climate change. Uh, but the thing is, is um, these are all old people who were in parliament. And when I was having my speech to explain the carbon tax, there was apparently cake in the cafeteria. So a lot of them had left and were eating cake and then they returned to vote on the carbon tax. They all vote no. <laughs> and then they cite reasons, which I explained why they were like factually wrong in my speech. So I was like, guys, you should maybe listen. <laughs> you would get an F in this class if this was a class. Um, so I don't know, it was like funny, but then sad at the same time that there were people who just like, were like, no, what about short-term effects on um, people's uh, like prosperity because of carbon tax? Because they weren't thinking like 
long enough. So it's frustrating, also frustrating to see the party divide, like the social democrats voted against this just for no reason. They told me they agree with it, but they were like, ah, we're gonna vote against it. Why? <laughs> Why are you so clicky? <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm excited for next time I'll come in because I think I'll do things a little bit differently. Um, but it's definitely an, like an entirely different world in there. And I really wish people would, I don't, I don't know, step a little bit outside of their parliament party bubble, because there are things that are more important than your party getting voted in sometimes. Uh, but that's what they think about, like, you know. So it was frustrating, super educational, um, learned a lot. I wish they would have accepted the carbon tax, but okay, I'll do it next time. That was such an amazing answer. Um, I think I haven't served on parliament and neither has Zoe, but now I feel like I have a piece of that experience with me. Um, so thank you so much for sharing all of that. I did not expect it to be at all like school. When you said that, I thought no, it was really funny awesome. and interesting. So <laughs> now uh, if either of us ever end up serving on parliament, I guess we'll have a bit of a frame of reference. But Much I think, than you think, honestly, like the people who are there, they're, it's not rocket science. Like you belong in parliament just as much as like any old person. Yeah, that's an amazing answer. I think it's I think it's just incredible that you were able to find a party that was so inclusive and also diverse in the sense that they were accepting of having younger people and having many women. Um, and I just think it's so wonderful that you're able to embrace femininity while serving in an area that's sometimes male dominated. I think that's like what yeah. she did is all about. So I think that's just a really amazing thing that you mentioned. So this fall, you recently began your first year as a freshman at Harvard, which is crazy, I'm sure, but also very exciting. Uh, balancing that with climate activism and going back to Iceland um, and all those sorts of things is probably very hectic. But do you want to tell us a little bit about what you study or what you plan to study in the future? Sure. Um, yeah, it was. I'm very excited. Um, I think it's a great place and I'm super uh, privileged to be in such an intellectually stimulating place. Um, I plan to study either environmental science, public policy, or if I want to focus, if I discover that science is more my jam, I'll, I'll study environmental science and engineering. Uh, maybe I'll see economics as something more useful at the end of the spring semester. Then I'll just study in economics with the climate um, focus and maybe take a secondary in energy and environment. Um, so I think there's a lot of study paths, but the thing is like, I think my study path is super related to like uh, my opinions on the world. So. Sometimes I wonder like, what would I, would I have gotten up to if I was born somewhere which had like a state of the world, which I completely agree with. And, and I just genuinely don't know what I would have done, which is so sad to think about, but um, it's okay. It's okay. Um, I, maybe I would have studied math. I don't know, <laughs> I have no idea. So uh, yeah, but those are super fun things. I took some, some introductory courses this fall. Um, really, really like it. I um, took a little bit of a break from climate activism because I think you have to also, I don't know, take a break for the soul sometimes. I just got out of the election and um, yeah, I decided to focus on other things. I got involved in the mountaineering club. 
uh, which is super fun. I even tried rushing a sorority for the cultural experience. I'm not in it currently, but I think like I wanted to tell my grandchildren like, oh my God, when your grandma was at a university, she rushed the sorority and got in, but then quit because it's a little bit toxic. Uh, that's just my opinion. <laughs> I'm not going to comment further on that. <laughs> um super fun to meet everyone and I think like friend making was like my full-time job um super fun to just like stay in Annenberg with uh the people that you meet for two hours like lunches were two hours often um which is so nice and I really enjoyed that I sometimes I think like where did all my time go <laughs> it went into that and that's okay it's, that's that's so nice um I really yeah enjoyed just like um, there was uh, there's also model UN which I tried that was never a thing in Iceland because it's such a small country um, and then yeah just like also trying to sleep stay healthy um, have fun things in Boston experience things yeah it's been amazing like having the American college experience <laughs> I'm so glad to hear that your experience at Harvard has been so positive. It's really amazing how you can balance all the different aspects of your life while still attending this amazing school. And I think Harvard kind of like wants you to do that. They want you to make something of the education and, um, and have a life outside of school, which I really like and I really appreciate. Yes, it definitely seems like that is one of their main priorities, which is really amazing. And I had a quick follow-up question. From our discussion so far, it has seemed that climate activism is one of your main passions, and it is so admirable how you are dedicating so much of your time to this cause. And I was wondering if you had any advice for our listeners who may not be dedicating as much time, but still want to be making steps in their daily life to helping the climate crisis. Of course. I, I, I don't think anyone has to... Has to um dedicate their whole life to it and I don't plan to as well I plan to fix it by like 30 maybe <laughs> no just kidding um, um, I think it's super important to both balance individual action with also community action so for example I eat plant-based and I try to um, take steps whenever I can I don't buy new clothes so just two those two things are um, important for me because I think I would just feel bad if I wasn't doing those things so I do it because it's ethical not because it's going to save the world but it would just feel wrong to not do it um, so I, I thrift all my clothes I, I borrow from my mother she's has an she was a 90s fashion icon um, and then I eat plant-based whenever I can. And uh, you don't have to be completely vegan. Just just try to pursue a plant-based option when when you find you can't do it, which if you can, that's great. Um, then community action, um, I think is all about creating like a community that values other things than money. Uh, it's the reason why we are having this problem is because um, society is really bad at calculating the value of things if we're just gonna do it from a quarterly basis of uh, monetary value and return on investment. So um, if you're in a school, just uh, try to maybe think about what your school can do. Can it improve its recycling? Can it improve its energy usage? Um, is this something that the school can do if you're in a workplace? Um, try to ask like, can the company change its investment policies? Can it um, make a change to its recycling or um, hiring policy like there's a lot of things which you can advocate for in your community in your town you can um create more programs that um offer people 
easier access to renewable energy like it's really different wherever you are but i think it's just important to try to mobilize people around you to try to change the the systems around us because currently like we live in a system where it's really hard to to be to have a not negative impact on the environment but just changing the policies around us changing the um the, the small things that we do every day uh, around us is really important so yeah balancing personal action because it's ethical and then also uh with community action i think i think you can't do either like you know if you only focus on yourself you can get really obsessive in like being zero, completely zero waste and completely like um doing everything right and then you know your life gets very hard and very boring i mean um i, I took a vacation this year and that's okay uh then also balancing it with um, community action and and uh, if you can governmental action like find a um, a party that supports climate policy and maybe try to advocate for for their party or if you can vote with the climate vote with the climate a party that is most uh, for climate policies and there's a lot of like ranking systems which you can use uh, yeah that's pretty much it. That's a wonderful answer. I think that, especially for me, I find myself sometimes, um, I'm obviously not as, um, I guess, high up as you are in terms of activism for the climate. Hey, this very arbitrary. Don't, I wouldn't think of it in that way. But, like, <laughs> but I, I think, can. I, I think that um, it's kind of the little things like my younger sister reminding me to use beeswax paper instead of saran wrap and things like using reusable bags instead of plastic bags and things like that. I think that sometimes it's just little things that um, can make a big difference, even if it doesn't feel like it's something that's going to make a big difference. Um, I think that that's a really wonderful answer um, because it's hard to dedicate your whole life to doing things to better the climate sometimes. Definitely. If I may add one thing, I just want to say that um, if someone is, for example, like really passionate about hair products, um, it's necessary to like it's going to be necessary to change our entire mode of living. Like if you can just pick the thing that you're interested in and like find a way to make it climate friendly, I think then you're doing a great job because I mean, I can't do everything and I'm just kind of like relying on that other people will take what they're passionate about and try to um, transform it into something that's not harmful for the environment. That's a really great answer. I actually hadn't thought of it that way before. I feel like it could definitely be a lot to take on the burden of fixing everything that's wrong with the way that we treat mm -hmm. the climate. So mm -hmm. I think it's it's a nice perspective to take off like bite-sized pieces, like just doing what you can do um, yes. and not shouldering all of it. Um, so in that's, being- That's really dangerous. I just want to say like, I felt so bad um sometimes throughout my activism it just feels kind of like that the whole the weight of the world is on your shoulders but that's why i think climate activism community is super important because you get to talk to people who are thinking those same things and just also like seeing the action that a group of people can achieve is so much more powerful and empowering than uh what you only can do so i think seeing the action happen um is what keeps me going so my environmental groups that I take part in are so important for that. And also just um, learning about people who are like changing the world. And I get always so much relief, like, wow, like they're also doing stuff and it's not only me. <laughs> yeah, I think it's amazing to be a part of a community that 
um, can help share that kind of burden of wanting to make a change that's kind of global, um, not kind of global, actually very global, um, like climate change. So mm -hmm. in being a change maker, are there any difficult challenges that you faced and how have you overcome them? I'm guessing that there are probably quite a few that you faced. Um, I think that comes up a lot, especially in climate action from what I read on the news and from what I've heard from people who are part of that community. Um, but anyway, yeah, if you could share about that. Sure, I think um, <clears throat> if I take climate activism, I think what I mentioned about climate anxiety can be super scary because it's so hard to, I don't know, like be in a situation where you know um, things that are happening, such as like just people dying and entire ecosystems dying because of this uh, problem that your species had. And then when you encounter someone who just like is, is not taking that into account and says something like, oh, but what about, um, but what about me? You know, what about my uh, material well-being? Like, I want to be able to buy a nice family car. Why do I have to care about, you know? And it's so hard to hear because it's like, you know, by saying that you're disregarding so many other lives and so many other things. And it's just really like hard to hear sometimes that people just really think this way. Um, so yeah, I think just staying strong mentally is a big part of being a change maker. Um, so that's why I, I talk about the importance of having a community and also having like friends that, um, friends and hobbies that are unrelated to um, your state of the world. Um, like I have a lot of friends who are super intellectual, but we only have silly conversations. We just talk about funny things. And that's like sometimes all you need. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, as a change maker, I think also... There's a lot of stuff that you don't know what you're doing really uh, but I, I think we just have to adopt an attitude that it's super okay to not know what you're doing and it's super okay to have like a super uh, you know to to just go ahead and do things even if you're going to make mistakes at least you're not making the old mistakes that people are making which is you know not being forward thinking if you're if your mistake that is that you're going to be too forward thinking that's practically refreshing at this point um, so I think like if everyone just adopts an attitude of like absolute ruthlessness in our ability or like or in our self-confidence or something, I think that would be great because then, you know, no one would be doubting themselves. They'd all be just like, yep, so we have to fix this. So we're going to do it. And um, just let's just go. Um, of course, I mean, it's important to listen to the science and everything, but I'm still just talking about like the fact that you can do things and you can believe in yourself from the perspective of okay it has to be done so I'm gonna do it that's an amazing answer I think oftentimes people are so scared of failing or making a mistake that they're scared to even try so I think that's super important to encourage people to just try and even if you make a mistake at least you're doing something yeah and for our last question that we like to end on on this podcast is what is advice you have for other young women who want to take a stand and be catalysts for change such as you have been? Um, I think there's a lot of things that try to bring women down. Um, like society is basically founded on that. And I think it's important to just have a really um, good core and just really nurture your core uh, because I think that's where your strength comes from and just be like super unapologetically yourself um, because I think that that's where you get your strength from and um, 
for example, my one of my role models was the first uh, president, uh, the first female president in the world, who was an Icelandic woman. And she won because she completely changed the rules of the game. She was a single uh, mother. She was a French teacher. She was not not some big shot, you know. She was just super nice and charming and and a kind-hearted woman. And she won the the, the presidential elections for just being herself. She never suppressed any part of her femininity. She never pretended to be anyone else than herself. She was humorous and fun, and people loved her. She won. Um, so I think that um, if we're going to change things, I think embracing feminine sides and this um, is important and embracing love and fun um, in, as a part of our movement is important uh, because that's the world that we're trying to create, whatever it is, I, you know, just try to embody the world that you want to create so i want to create a world that values other things that money values friendship and values love and happiness so i try to embody those qualities and try to um bring that into my daily life as well so my uh surroundings and community and and seeing that around me just motivates me to want to bring it further to people who you know are not as privileged and uh come from other situations um which still deserve love and happiness so yeah, I think embodying the qualities that you want to bring in the world. And um, just, just uh, if you're super passionate about the environment or whatever it is, I think just try to source your confidence from that rather than like, can I do this? Because there's no, no doubt you can do this. Um, that's not even a question at this point, but just, you know, I think, uh, you're just trying to do your best if you try to do your best as an activist I think you'll end up in great places and you'll end up doing great things um, that's the secondary thing and you will do that anyways so I think just focusing on like what things you want to bring into the world working with people to try to bring um, the policy you want into the world um, working with activist groups to try to bring some change into the world um, you can do it like that's not even a question at this point. It's just, um, you know, uh, just, just do it and, and you'll be so happy that you did it. And I think a sense of pride in, um, in, in societal action and a sense of belonging to your community is so, so, so rewarding. And so, so, so uh, makes me so grateful to be human and to be having this human experience because it's such a wonderful world that we live in. And like, the thought that my grandchildren or you know future generations will not have access to like the beautiful nature that we have it's just so incomprehensible to me so it's my motivation it's such a nice life I enjoy life so much which is why I want to protect it you know <laughs> I don't know um that was kind of a circle but I hope to um I hope people get the message of um if you want to bring like make a more loving world try to embody love in everything you do and um creating change is hard it's uh frustrating but if you are in a movement that embodies the qualities you want to create um i think it can be fun that was an amazing answer and we cannot thank you enough for coming on our podcast today of course um super uh kudos to you for having this podcast it's amazing and um can't wait to listen to some more episodes and um yeah 
Thank you so much for having me. Yes, Gunhilder, thank you so much. This conversation was truly inspirational. And to our listeners, we hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Gunhilder's leadership and courage provide an amazing example, and we hope that her story is as inspirational to you as it is to us. Stay tuned for more episodes.